Hello, I'm Sean. Welcome to Wellspring Baptist Church Podcast. We're glad that you're listening today. For more information on all that's happening at Wellspring, please visit our website at www.wellspringbaptistchurch.org. I hope this message is a blessing to you. First Chronicles, chapter 21. We talked a little bit about David and... Uh, um, a couple weeks ago and talked about his victories and talked about his um, some of the good things but this morning we're going to talk about one of David's failures one of uh, David's uh, hardships one of the things that he faced and went through in 1st Chronicles 21 verse 1 the Bible says this and Satan stood up against Israel to provoke David to number Israel. And David said to Joab, that would be his general, and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I might know it. Now this is interesting, and I don't have time to dive into it, but your own personal study. Read the uh, parallel passage in Samuel, Second Samuel chapter 24, and it starts a little different. It says that the nation of Israel had displeased God, so that God allowed them to be tempted and provoked, uh, which is interesting as you study it. But then David goes in and begins to number the people which he knew he was not supposed to do, he was told not to do, and Joab tried to even uh, encourage him not to do it. Uh, to go after it, but the word of the king was was what it was, and Joab did as he was told. And when he had done it, in verse seven, you see that uh, the thing uh, the thing displeased the Lord, and God began to judge Israel. In verse eight, David said unto God, "I have sinned greatly because I have done this." Thing. Now, again, David realizes what he did was wrong, but he doesn't realize really what all was behind it, that Satan was part of this, that even God was part of this because he was going to judge Israel for what they were doing. But David takes the blame for, him, for it for himself because he was the one that ultimately made the choice. And he says, but now I beseech thee, go away, uh, 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 beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. So he begins to admit his fault, admit what he has done wrong. And God sends the prophet, uh, his name was Gad, and he sends the prophet to David. And it's an interesting story as he says, God gives you three choices for your punishment. Uh, there's a punishment because of what you've done. There's some something's going to happen. And he says to David, you choose one of these three things. He says either choose three years of famine Choose three months where the sword of your enemy is uh, prevailing against you, defeating you. Or three days of pestilence throughout the land. And I find this is it. Remember, I just want to back up for just a second. You do remember that David is a man after God's own heart, right? And so you begin to see in the life of David many times why David was a man after God's own heart because he trusted the Lord, he worshipped the Lord, he loved the Lord, all those sort of things. And it comes out even in his punishment, his heart toward the Lord. Look at verse 13. 
verse 13. And David said to Gad, that's the prophet, I am in a great strait. <laughs> like I'm in a rock, I'm between a rock and a hard place here. Uh, that's what David says. Like, there's no good choice. Have you ever been there? It's like, I'm between, like, either which way I go, I got trouble. Let me fall now in the hand of the Lord, for verily great are His mercies. <laughs> but let me not fall under the hand of man. <laughs> I'm telling you, this, that's a little peek into David's heart. Now listen. I've said this a lot and I believe it. I know it's true because it's Bible that all of us should come to a place in our lives where we have a great fear of God. I believe that, okay? I believe that. That's the beginning of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. That's Bible. That's biblical. But also, when you come to a place where you have a fear of God, but you also understand the mercies of God, then it is far better. When you come to a place in your life where you are far more comfortable with God as your judge than any other man judging you. When you come to a place in your life where you realize God knows my heart, and that can be scary. I mean, it can be scary to think God knows everything. I mean, there's nothing that I've thought, done, or said that He doesn't know about me. But even that, and even there, and even in that place, it is better to take my judgment from the Lord than from anybody else to judge me because God is... Merciful. David says, God, he says, great, he says, this is what David says. Very great are his mercies. David said, I I would rather just let God decide what my punishment is. I have come to a place in my life, David says, at this area of my life where I I fear God, but I trust him. I trust him. I trust him very much. I trust Him that even in my biggest failures, God will be merciful to me. I trust Him even in my biggest hardships, God will help me. He says this in Psalms 23.6, Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now that's, that's something. If you start having that perspective that goodness and, and, and mercies are going to follow you around all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says this in Psalms 86, 12, and 13, I will praise Thee, O Lord God, with all my heart and glorify Thy name forevermore. For great is Thy mercy toward me. You know what David said? God's always been merciful to me. He said, this isn't the first time I've messed up and I've noticed that whenever I mess up, uh, uh, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. God's mercy to me has always been great. He said, Thou hast delivered my soul out of the lowest hell. He said this in Psalms 94, 18, When I said my foot slippeth, Thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. Held me up. Thy mercy, O Lord, held me up. He said I could have fallen. I could have fallen out. I could have gone away. Uh, for Thy mercy endureth forever. You know what I think we do sometimes, which is a mistake, but is a trick of the devil, by the way? Is when we fail, when we mess up, when we're in trouble and it's our fault. or we, So we think it's our fault. Again, I'm not getting into this too much, but David always thought that this was his fault. And in, in a sense, it was. But in a sense, this was all kind of orchestrated by God as you see it from, the, from, from back. Uh, so anyhow, he, he thought that this was all his fault. Uh, and sometimes when we get into a place in our lives where we think this is our fault, 
we run from God. But here's what we should do. Run to God. Like, God, I trust you now. I know, I know what I've done is wrong, or at least this is what I think, and this is what everybody else thinks too. Uh, but God, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you because I believe you're merciful. I believe that you'll have, have him help for me, that you will help me learn to run to God when it's your fault. He, David could have thought, man, even, even my best general told me not to do this. You know, I was told not to do this thing, and now here it is. It's fallen out. Uh, uh, his mercies, his long suffering can be trusted. He says this in Psalms 103 4, who redeemeth my life from destruction, who crowneth me with loving kindness and tender mercies. Have you ever felt like in your life that you've made a mistake, and because of the mistake that you made, your life was plagued. That's what happened here. Ultimately, a plague comes in the land and things are dying. Things are falling apart. A decision David had made and, and it's not good. I mean, it's awful in Israel. It would have been a heartbreaking time to see what God has done. Uh, put yourself at the mercy of the Lord. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know what should happen to those that have received mercy from God? It should make us much more merciful to other people. When we realize how much grace and how much mercy God has given us, it should just kind of soften our hearts where we're a lot more merciful to other people. This pestilence, this plague came into the land and the angel came and and began to destroy. And You see in verse 15 of this passage that the angel stops in Jerusalem at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And he stops there. And by the way, in the scripture, the threshing floor or threshing in the Bible can be a picture of judgment. It's a picture of judgment. It's also a picture of testing. It can be also a picture of sanctification in the sense that that, um, it's where the good is separated from the bad. And it's it's not a pleasant thing when the good is separated from the bad. Uh, The threshing floor was a place where the grain was taken away from the husk or what the Bible calls the chaff. And it was done in a way where it was uh, threshed out. It was crushed out. It was beat out. It was stepped on. It was crunched (laughs) and then fanned. All the bad stuff was fanned away. It would be crushed and fanned away. It was a separating of the good and the bad. And there's plenty of references to it in the scripture. John the Baptist preached of it in kind of a different context, but you'll understand what I'm saying when I said in Matthew 12, 3, verse 11 and 12, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather the wheat into his garner. And he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You know what Jesus told Peter uh, in Luke chapter 22? He said, uh, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He said to Peter, uh, you're going to go through some threshing. You're going to go through some processes here, uh, Peter, where the bad's going to get beat out of you. (laughs) 
and the good's going to remain. And he says, Peter, um, I pray that your faith fails not. That's what he says in the next verse. Peter, I, I pray that when you go through the threshing floor that your faith fails not. By the way, this was a place of testing for David, Ornan, Ornan's threshing floor. Uh, but this was not the first person that had been tested, tested at this very site. Many years before, a man was tested at that very site, and his name was Abraham. On the same area where Ornan's threshing floor, uh, Mount Moriah, Abraham had taken his son. The Bible says in John or Genesis 22 and verse 1, and it came to pass after these things, God did, and I have this underlined in my Bible, God did tempt Abraham. Now God never tests or tempts someone with evil. But you know what God does do? He tests us to do good. He tests us to do right. He does tempt our faith. Uh, trials and temptations do come into our lives uh, to prove our faith. Or it would not be faith if it had not been proved. And so God comes to test and tempt Abraham. And He said unto Abraham, Behold, here I am. That's what Abraham said to the Lord. And He said, Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and, give unto, uh, uh, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there a burnt offering unto one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham arose early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of the young men with him. And Isaac his son claved the wood of the burnt offering. Of course, we've preached messages here on this is that such a picture of Jesus Christ going up the Calvary uh, with the cross. And he says, and he arose and went. And I have these underlined in my Bible as I was studying through this message. The place. He says that he went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. You say, what place? Uh, The place of testing. The place of sifting, if you will. The threshing floor. That place where God sometimes begins to separate uh, the bad from the good in our own lives. He begins to test. He begins to tempt. He, at the end of Genesis 22, he says, now I know this man will follow me and will love me, basically, is what God says about Abraham once he passed the test and lays his son Isaac up there on the altar that God told him to build. God told him to build an altar on Mount Moriah. I keep saying that because I'm going to tie all this together here, hopefully by the end of this message. The place, the altar that Abraham built up on Mount Moriah. Now David is in a bad situation and the angel has stopped here at Ornan's threshing floor on Mount Moriah in Moriah. Look at verse 17. First uh, Chronicles 21. And David said unto God, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I that is that have sinned and have done evil indeed but as for these sheep, what have they done? My goodness, I just want to stop. This isn't part of the message. But listen, this is the difference between David and Saul. When Saul was caught in his trouble, you know what he said? It was the people's fault. Not me. When David got caught in trouble, you know what he said? God, it's me. That's not the people's fault. Don't hurt the people. It was me. But really, when we back up and study the whole story, I think it may have been the people. 
actually. But David didn't, David didn't uh, say that. He said, no, 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 God, it, it, it's me. It was, it was my fault. I was the one. I've sinned. In verse 18, the Bible tells him, in verse 17, he actually tells him in 18, uh, build an altar. The angel of the Lord commanded again and said to David, this is 18, uh, he should go up and set an altar under the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. This altar, the altar is a picture and a place. Of, the first picture of an altar is sacrifice. Sacrifice. Um, that's a word that Christians today don't like to hear. Is sacrifice. We have a sacrifice, Jesus Christ, and we're thankful for that. But in our own personal lives, we don't want to sacrifice. An altar is a place of commitment. An altar is a place of surrender. An altar is a place, ultimately, here's what it is. Worship. It's about worship. It's about worshiping God. I personally have uh, built some altars. I've built some literally. Um, the first altar I built was up on a mountain in, uh, in Montana when God was speaking to me about possibly starting this church. And I just needed to get away and hear from the Lord and and uh, Todd was heading to the mountains and, and uh, we went together, just he and I, and I got up there on top of this mountain and started putting rocks up and build a rock altar and I got down on my knees and I said, God, if this is what you'd have me to do, I'm giving you my life. I rededicated my life and I said, God, I promise to you that I'll serve you and I'll do what you'd have me to do. Uh, if there comes a time in my life where I want to walk away from God, in back of my mind I know that there's a rock altar built up on a mountain where I committed. It's there. It's going to stay there until somebody knocks it down uh, or they develop it. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Uh, but anyhow, uh, the, there's an altar there. There's other altars that have been set up, spiritually speaking, in my mind. Places where I've gotten a hold of the Lord and given areas of my life or parts of my life to the Lord that I can go back to and say this and this is a place where I offered up something to God. I worshipped the Lord. This is, I know this verse is familiar to us, but I believe this may be the next step in many of our Christian life, so I keep saying it. Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says, I beseech you. In other words, I beg you. I beseech you therefore, brother, by the mercies. Remember that? The mercies? I've already talked about that. That's what David liked. The mercy. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service <laughs> and be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God you know what that is that's commitment that may come after a time of threshing where you say you know what now's the time to build an altar and surrender now's the time to build an altar and say God I've made a choice of what kind of man I want to be. I've made a choice of what kind of woman I want to be. I want to be a man of God. I want to be a woman of God. I want to follow you with all my heart. I'm willing to separate myself unto you, God. I want to walk with you and talk with you and, and fellowship with you. And so the angel says, uh, David, you need to build an altar just like your forefather did. Abraham in this exact spot. I want you to build an altar here. So David comes and says to Ornan, verse 22, grant me the place. I, I told you I keep underlining this. Uh, grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar 
therein unto the Lord, and thou shalt grant it to me full price. I told you when God speaks to me sometimes in my Bible, I write dates down beside it. And I have a date written down here. And right below the date it says, pay full price. Pay full price. He says, I'll pay full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. David said, let me pay so that they don't get hurt anymore. And Ornan said unto David, take it. Take it thee. Let my Lord the King do that which is good in His eyes. Lo, I, I, I give thee the oxen also and the burnt offering and the threshing instruments and, and the wood and the weed and the meat offering. He says, I give it all. Ornan says, David, take it. Take it all. It's all yours. David says in verse 24 to Ornan, Nay, no, no, no Ornan. But I will not verily, but I will buy it of thee for full price. For I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer a burnt offering without cost. He said, I will not take this from you what I'm going to try and give the Lord. He said, no, David said, I want to have some, I, I, I want to invest in this. I, I'm not looking for a discount here. I didn't come here looking for something cheap. I came to pay full price for this land. I came to pay full price for this altar. I didn't come here looking for what, how I could get by. I didn't just try to get in what little bit. I came to give it all, to pay full price. Not worried about what, I mean, this, is, this, this was the same David that said to his brothers many years before, is there not a cause? And that's just the heart of David where when he found a cause, he didn't count the cost. When he found something that was for God, when he found something that was right, he said, listen, I am all in. What we say separates David from so many people is that he had heart. And what you mean by heart is David was all in. He'd say, I'm going to go all in. If I'm in this thing, I'll die trying. I'm going all the way for this. I'm not going to, I'm going all the way. I, I remember, and I don't try to tell a lot of stories about myself, but I, I remember when I gave my life to Christ, not when I was born again, but when I gave my life to Christ and I surrendered uh, to go to Bible school and moved to Dayton, Ohio, I sold my car, I sold my Harley, I sold... Uh, Everything basically put it, not that I had much, but I put everything in, my, in the back of my pickup truck. That's all I brought to Dayton. It was raining on that Monday morning. And I wrapped a tarp around it. Everything I owned was in the back. And I moved in with my sister uh, who was living in Lebanon. And I started going to school and I started going to Bible school. And I was struggling with some temptations. I was struggling with some sins in my life. I was just giving my life to the Lord. And uh, although I'd been raised right and raised in a Christian home, I'd gotten away from God. And I remember I was in Bible school and I thought, man, I can't do this stuff, you know. <laughs> I not, I'm not a good student, let alone then a Bible student. I just can't do this stuff, right? And uh, I was struggling with some temptations and I'd, I'd failed. I'd messed up. And I remember exactly where I was at. I was driving... Uh, uh, 35, turning on to 42, heading back to Lebanon after a Bible Institute course. And nobody knew I was struggling with what I was struggling with at the time and the things that I was going through. Nobody knew. And uh, uh, I started talking to God. And this is what I said. I said, God, as I was crying and I was a little bit yelling in my truck by myself. And I said, God, I said, I left all my friends. 
I said, I quit my job. I went away from everything that I knew. I moved out here for you. I did everything in my power that I possibly can do. I said, now you're going to have to do the rest. I said, God, you're going to have to because if not, I, I, I moved from Pennsylvania to Ohio to do the same things. And that's not why I moved here, God. And uh, I'll tell you, from that day forward, God began to help me. I think that, and I'm not trying to say this to pat myself on the back, but I think that God knew I was serious. God knew that I was serious about trying to give all all to Him to pay full price. Let me just say this. When you pay full price for something, you don't walk away from it easy. When you you pay full price, when you got blood, sweat, and tears into it, you just kind of say, listen, I've got my heart into this thing. When things start going bad, when things start going ugly, you say, you know what? It's not good. I'm embarrassed. I'm this, all this sort of stuff. But I've got too much invested into this right now uh, to walk away from what I have. Easy come, easy go. You say, what if, do you think David was concerned about paying too much? The Bible says that he paid, uh, in the next verse, uh, he paid 600 shekels of gold in weight. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much that would be in today's. It could be around a million dollars from the best research that I did for a tiny little flood, uh, uh, threshing floor, small area of land. He probably paid about a million dollars for it then. You say, did he overpay? Some may think he may have overpaid. But let me tell you, this threshing floor that David bought is probably today the most valuable piece of land in all the world. You say, where is that threshing floor that David paid? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 3. Second Chronicles chapter 3. I don't think that it would take World War III to get this piece of land back. Uh, and it might. Second Chronicles chapter 3. Second Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord. At Jerusalem, on Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared to David, his father, in the place that David had prepared, oh man, in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And he began to build in the second day, in the second month, in the fourth year of his reign. (laughs) The place. The place that God almost forced David to buy. You know, when David bought this, he he said, I'm going to pay full price. He was happy to throw down the money. He didn't care. But in one sense, this was kind of like, you had to think David thought this was a fine. You know what I mean? Like, this is what you had to pay to get the plague stopped. But when we can let time roll on, and time goes farther, we find that this, what David may have thought was a fine that he was paying, was was a steal. It was, I, I thought of this for a while before I said this. This was the best money David ever spent. Amen. This was the best purchase David ever made in his life. Look at, look at, keep going in Chronicles. Keep going in Chronicles chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 13. David builds the temple. By the way, God wouldn't let David build the temple. But David gave all the money to Solomon to build the temple anyhow. Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 13, It came to pass, Solomon's build it, it's all finished. It came to pass, as the trumpeters and the singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard, praising 
and thanking the Lord. Where are they at? The place. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and the instruments of music, praise the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. His mercy endureth forever. And then the house was filled in a cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. And Solomon said, The Lord... By the way, I didn't... I, didn't, I, I, I skipped over this. The, you know God gave David the credit for buying the land? He said that he said this is what God had prepared for us. David bought the land to stop a plague. He didn't buy it to prepare the land for the temple. But God gave him the credit later. I forgot to point that out when we read that. He said that this David had prepared that as if David went and looked for a perfect spot to build a temple. And this was the perfect spot to build the temple. That by the way, is the spot still there? The spot's still there. We still know where it's at. Uh, God still knows where it's at. God's going to come and sit in that spot one day. Jesus Christ is going to rule from that very spot one day. He's going to sit down on that throne where David bought the threshing floor. for. Wouldn't you say a steal? Wouldn't you say he bought that for a steal? Yeah, he bought it for a steal. Look Look at it. He said, And Solomon the Lord has said that thou wilt dwell in the thick darkness and I have built a house a habitation for thee look at this a place for the dwell for thy dwelling forever David had bought a place for the Lord to dwell forever and it might so yeah here's what I'm trying to say when Dave, when Solomon's standing there David made a couple big mistakes in his life one was with Bathsheba. And the other one was with numbering the people. One of the greatest days in Israel's history was Solomon standing there, the son of Bathsheba, standing on the ground of Orn and the Jebusite. David's two biggest mistakes. David's two biggest mistakes end up being one of the... You know what they were saying when they were standing there at the temple ground? Solomon, Bathsheba's son, and and this land that David had prepared of Orn and the Jebusite is wow, what a great, what a great king dad was. Wow, what a good, what a good dad David David was. Wasn't wasn't your dad Solomon? Wasn't he such a great king? Had prepared all this for us, had had made this all good for Israel. And and meanwhile, David's sitting there back in his life thinking, oh man, I messed up with. Bathsheba, and now I messed up here with the number and the people and order. But those two things ended up being some of the greatest blessings in David's life. The things that he was able to pass down for generations to generations to generation to generation to generation. I mean, it's still going. That land that David bought for 600 talents of gold. Here, here's my point with this. The Lord paid full price for us. Salvation is free for everyone who will believe. For everyone who will accept. But let me just say this. Salvation is free, but don't let that deceive you. Because it was paid a high price. He pulled full... God paid full price. He didn't hold anything back when it came to purchasing us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not 
perish. Uh, there was a place where that happened as well. It's called Golgotha, the place of the skull, Calvary, where God, like Abraham said about Isaac, provided himself a lamb. Sin has a high cost. Sin has a high cost. And I remember reading back when Jesus said in the garden, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But you know what? You know what he was saying? Is there any other way for salvation cheaper than this? Is there any other way for salvation at a lesser cost than God giving Himself and His bloodshed? And the answer to that was no. The answer to that was no, that there was no super cost. That it was going to take full price for redemption, for salvation. Um, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18, For as much as you know, we were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, with from your vain conversation received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. God's love and His grace is so free for us, but it's His riches. It's His riches. God's riches at Christ's expense, right? That's what, that's what this grace is. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44, the Bible says this, And again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a treasure hidden in a field, the which when a man hath found it, he, he hid, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the fruit. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man, seeking goodly pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You know what he's saying here? Jesus Christ paid all. Jesus paid it all. It's free for us, but it was not free. Grace is not free. It's paid for by God. Salvation is not free. It was paid in full price. As we close, and I ask Savannah to just play softly, on the piano, maybe you're like David. And you're here and you think of all the mistakes that you've made. And maybe some of the mistakes that you have made are even like a plague in your life right now. It's like a plague. And you're thinking, what do I do? Um, I think that it's safe to say build an altar. Build an altar and go to the Lord and offer up a sacrifice to Him. Uh, say, God, I, 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 it's me that has sinned. It's me that's wrong. But God, I want to worship You here. I want to worship you here and say, throw yourself at His feet knowing, listen, I don't have to pay for whatever everybody else thinks. But God, I, I put myself at Your mercy, trusting You. Trusting that even in Your judgment, You're long-suffering and kind. Even in Your judgment, You can take my worst mistakes and make them absolutely, not just good. I'm not saying that God took David's mistakes and made them good. I'm not saying that. You know why David says, very great are thy mercies? Because he didn't take David's mistakes and make them good. He made them great. He made them wonderful. He made them beautiful. There was nobody like Solomon there for a while. There was nobody like Solomon. There was nothing like that first temple. And he took David's mistakes and he made them wonderful and great. And so I would say, just trust him. Lay yourself and say, God, give me what I deserve. Uh, God, I, I put myself at your mercy. I know I deserve judgment, but God, I trust that whatever you do will be merciful. Maybe it's here where I say, where you say, I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, present yourselves to the Lord. Maybe it's this morning, and I, we're going to have a moment of prayer where you can present yourself to the Lord. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you're not saved. You've never been born again. Would you present yourself to the Lord for salvation? Ask Him to save you. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I want to pay full price. Uh, Sanctification is not cheap. I'm not looking to walk with the Lord and just get by on whatever cheap way I can. I want to give all to the Lord. I want to go all in. I'm not looking how to get out of it. I'm looking how to get into it. I'm not trying to get by with just what little. I want to go all in. If I worship the Lord, I want it to cost me something. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. We'd love to hear from you and learn how you've been encouraged or challenged by this podcast. Please leave a comment on the Contact Us page on our website, or you could write to us at P.O. Box 641, Springboro, Ohio, 45066. Feel free to visit us anytime that you're in the Springboro, Ohio area.